How many others just absolutely love that song, Oh Holy Night? Oh my goodness. Uh, there's something about that song that just awakens pieces in my soul. When we sing it during the Christmas season, I just feel parts of me coming alive that were just dormant for the other 11 months of the year. Something in me just screams out, yes, yes. Uh, that song was written in 1846 by a Frenchman named Placido Capot. And the song didn't gain traction, at least in the States, until 1857 when a pastor and abolitionist got a hold of it and read that line, chains shall he break for the slave is our brother. And they went, yes and amen. Yes and amen. And that became a song that got more and more popular, especially in the North, but in the United States in general. And then in 1906, Oh Holy Night was the first song to be played across the radio waves. There's something about that song that tells us who we are, that long lay the world in sin and error pining until he, God, appeared and the soul felt its worth. It tells us who we are. But maybe more importantly, the song tells us what God is like. And that's a question. What is God like? Is a question that humanity has wrestled with and struggled with and talked about and debated since the dawn of creation. Uh, a magazine did an article a number of years ago where they asked kids to draw a picture of God and send those pictures in, and they printed them a little while later. And here's what some of the pictures looked like. This is what kids think God looks like. Now, if you're a kid in this room today, okay, I just want you to imagine before I show you these, uh, what would you draw? What would you draw? What would your picture look like? Here were some of the submissions. Uh, this little girl drew a picture and she said, God is a redheaded superhero, <laughs> right? There's this old quote that God created us in his image and we've been returning the favor ever since. My guess is this girl had fiery red hair and she thought, well, God must also, right? Another person uh, drew a picture and sent it in and it was of God having a really long white beard and these massive ears. And I... He was very specific. I did not draw these ears big because my grandfather has big ears, okay? He drew these ears really, really large because God does a lot of listening and he's really good at listening. The next submission was interesting. It was a picture of God with lightning bolts coming out of his hands. You know what? Some of us have this view of God. Some people walk in these doors tonight with that view of God. That God's sort of angry and you don't want to get on his bad side and he's vindictive and, and you just, you, you, your best bet is to just sort of keep your distance and stay away. In fact, in fact, some of you walked away from the faith because you felt like this was your picture of God and you just didn't want any part of it. Another kid submitted a picture of God standing above the earth and everybody all around the earth holding hands. And God is depicted in this picture as, as the helper, the one who comes to everybody's aid. And then finally, there was a picture submitted where this young uh, child said, well, God is like nature. It's sort of this like pantheist or panentheist view of God, that God is everywhere. God is in everything. What about you? If you were to try to draw a picture of what God is like, what would be on your drawing? 
A.W. Tozer, the great 20th century theologian and pastor said, what comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. What comes to your mind when you think about God? See, John, Jesus's friend, writes a biography about his life. We call it the Gospel of John. And what he wants to do is give you and I absolute clarity that we can know for sure what comes to our mind when we think about God is absolutely true. And so he writes about his friend Jesus. And first he tells us he's the light of the world. He created it all, sustains it all, holds it all together. Then he tells us that he, Jesus, the word, God Almighty, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And from him, we have all received grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And then he says, in John chapter 1, verse 18, listen to the way he describes his friend, Jesus. He says this, no one has ever seen God because God is spirit, which makes it sort of hard to draw a picture of him, right? But God, the one and only who's at the father's side, he's referring back to exactly what he said about Jesus in the top portion of this passage of scripture. He's saying, but, but Jesus has made him, God, known. He, he uses this word in the Greek, it's the word exegeomai, and it literally could be translated to exegete. It's what people do when they study the scriptures. They exegete the text. They dig in the text and they figure out what's there and they bring it out. What John would say is Jesus exegetes God. Or think of it as um, the cognate of that same word is excavate. To go and to dig in the dirt, to find something that's been buried for years, walked over, hidden, and to unearth it and to bring it out in full view of everyone. John says that's exactly what Jesus does for God. He exegetes him. He excavates him. He unearths him. See, because here's what John doesn't want. John doesn't want, when you think about God, he doesn't want you to have a big question mark in your head. He doesn't want you to have angry, vindictive lightning bolts in your head. He doesn't want you to have nature in your head. He wants you to have Jesus in your head because Jesus is what God is like. In Hebrews chapter one, the author of Hebrews would write it like this. He says, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, Jesus, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The son, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God. When God shines, it looks like Jesus. And he is the exact representation of his being. When you look at Jesus, you see the fullness of all that God is like. And you know why that's really important? Because your view of God is the most important thing about you. And when your view of God is actualized, your life can be maximized. You can come alive like the way that God had always intended you to be alive.
See, but Jesus in his revelation of what God is like doesn't stop in the manger. He goes on, and part of Jesus's life mission is that the people who followed him would be absolutely crystal clear about the nature and the character of God. And so he does that by telling stories, by living life with people, and eventually by giving his own life on the cross. But one of these stories he tells, I think, brings this to life. It's found in Luke chapter 15. It's a story about a rich man who had two sons. He had an older son and a younger son, and the younger son came to his dad and said, hey, dad, I want my share of the inheritance. In the ancient world, that was akin to saying to your father, you're better off to me dead than you are alive. I want your stuff more than I want you. If you could just cash it out and give it to me now, I'd be on my way and we won't have to see each other anymore. And the father does. Cashes out his son's share of the inheritance, gives it to him. And this younger son wanders off to a far off land and he blows all of the money that his dad had given him on wild living, on girls, on drinking, on food, you name it. And then it says, and a famine came through the land. So I think Jesus is saying, it wasn't just the bad decisions that this man made. It was also nature and everything going on around him and all of those sort of roads just combined to put him at absolute rock bottom. And Jesus tells this story because he knows that you and I at some point will find ourselves in a similar spot where we'll have to wrestle with this question, what is God like? Is God safe? Can I go to God when my life is messed up or do I have to be perfect in order to come to him? Can I go to God when I'm at rock bottom or do I need to climb the ladder and get to him? And if I am gonna go home, what type of God is gonna meet me when I get there? Luke chapter 15 records Jesus' teaching about this younger brother. And here's what Jesus says. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare and here I am starving to death? I'll set out and I'll go back to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. Anybody had similar conversation with God? God, I know I've blown it. And if you could just sneak me in the back door. Uh, if you could just like shower a little bit of blessing down. I mean, I know you're disappointed in me and I know I've wronged you and I know I've brought shame on your name, but, but maybe if you could just sort of sneak me in the back, we don't have to talk about it. We don't have to interact a whole lot. Just let me be a part of your house and feed me and let me get by and we'll be okay. So he went, got up and he went to his father. But while his father, while, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. That, that, that word in the original language, it literally means that his insides turned when he saw his son. Like something biologically happened to this father. He sees his son coming down the road. Okay, so what's the look on his face? Pretend like you haven't heard the story before, right? What's the, what's the look on his face? Is he angry? Is he upset? Here's what it says. But with compassion for him, he ran 
to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. So here's the picture. Here's the picture. This, this dad, this patriarch, and in the Jewish culture, he was the most honored amongst all of the people in the village, pulls up his robe and starts to run toward his son in an act of personal humiliation and vulnerability, running to get to his son. Now, okay, lean in for just a moment. I'd like to suggest to you that that scene in that story is Christmas. It's God in humility, in vulnerability, running to you and to me. You see, I've always wrestled with why does Jesus give us some of the details he gives us? Like that the, the father sees him coming. It's as though the father is every morning looking towards the crest of the hill that his house sat near, seeing if maybe this would be the day that the silhouette of his son would appear and he'd come home. And it's as though he goes to bed in the evening and he brews his cup of tea and he sits on the porch just hoping and longing that this will be the day. But why? Well, there was a ceremony. There's a ceremony in ancient Near East villages called Kazaza. Will you say that with me? Kazaza. And Kazaza was what you did when the younger brother did what he did. Kazaza was somebody would take a clay pot like this, and if someone had shamed the patriarch or brought shame on the village in general and tried to come back, what they would do is they would take a clay pot they would run to meet them on the road and they would smash the clay pot at their feet as if to say, what you've done is irreparable. The wrong that you've brought on this family and the shame to our name is something that cannot be undone. And so this relationship is shattered. This relationship is over. This relationship is done. And I wonder if Jesus gives us these details in this story as if to say the father wanted to cut off anybody that was running to try to get to his son before he did. That he would run and say, not I'm going to break a pot at your feet and I'm going to shatter it because the relationship is done. But he's going to run with arms wide open, with eyes of love and with an embrace of welcome to say to his son, you are welcome home. Friends, this is what God is like. And there's four gifts that the father gives to his son. And I don't know what you're going to get for Christmas. I don't know what's under the tree or what's coming for you tonight. I don't know any of that, but I do know that there are four gifts that God wants to give you. He wants to give you a coat, a ring, a sandal, and a cow. This is a Christmas message in four gifts. The coat is the covering that he gives to his son that covers all of his brokenness and all of his shame. Dressed in his righteousness alone to stand faultless before his throne. It's God saying to this son, the father saying to his son, I forgive you and I'll give my life so that you can find yours. 
The second gift is a, a ring. It was a signet ring back in those days. It allowed you to do business on behalf of the family. It's the father saying to his son, I'm not sneaking you in the back door. You're not a second-class citizen in my kingdom. There are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. He is restoring, he is healing, and he is bringing him back to fullness of sonship. Merry Christmas. And then he gives them sandals. And slaves didn't have sandals. It made it too easy to run away and not pay the debt that they had to pay. Sons and daughters got sandals. It's as though the father's saying to his son, you're not going to stay in my house because you're restricted and you have to stay here. You are welcome to leave. You're not restricted to stay here. You get to stay because of relationship. It's the father saying to his son, you're welcome. You are welcome in my house. And then finally a cow, which I know you hope is waiting for you under the tree. It was a picture of party. It was a picture of the father and the son with the music cued out on the dance floor together. It was Emmanuel. It's God with us. And I don't know what kind of picture you have in your head of God. For century upon century upon century, people performed religious acts in temples. They made sacrifices. They did rituals in order to keep the gods at bay, in order to keep them away from them. But the picture of God that we see in Jesus is unique. It's different. And it's for you tonight. Some of you are here. So that maybe for the first time you can respond and say, if that God's reaching out for me, and he is, and he is, then maybe, just maybe, tonight, you reach back to him. Because he's running at you, whether it's in a manger in a little town of Bethlehem, or whether it's a father who pulls up his robe in humility to run to you, I can assure you he's running to you this evening, not with a pot in his hand to break at your feet, but with love in his, eye, or love in his eyes, with welcome in his arms, and with a whisper, welcome home. I read a story a few days ago that just caught my heart. It was a story of Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's daughter, and the speech that she gave at her father's memorial service in spring of 2018. She got up and she started to talk and she said, well, it seems like everybody has a Billy Graham story. He was sort of a big deal, okay? And she said, well, I have a Billy Graham story too that I'd like to share. And she stood up in front of that crowd of roughly 2,000 people, and she said, after 21 years, my marriage absolutely fell apart. No fault of my own, she said, but we had to go our separate ways. And I was devastated. She said shortly thereafter, she got involved in a church and met a new man, and they started dating, and they were moving really quickly towards marriage. And, and her dad told her, Honey, it seems like things are moving a little bit fast. Why don't you slow it down? And this should give every father in the room a little bit of solace to know if Billy Graham's daughter didn't take his advice and your kids don't take yours, don't take it too hard, man. But she didn't. She didn't take his advice or her mom's advice or her kids' advice. And she married this man 
And 24 hours later, she said she knew that she had made the biggest mistake of her life. And she tells a story in her journal of what it was like to go home. And all of the emotion and all of the thoughts that went into coming home with your tail between your legs when your dad is Billy Graham. And here's what she writes. She says, I felt wrecked. I was coming home with my life in pieces. Shame weighed me down. I dreaded having to meet my parents' gaze. I, I didn't think I could handle what their eyes might communicate. I wanted to run and hide, but I could not. I had nowhere to go. I couldn't undo my mistake. I knew I had to face it. I think there's some of you maybe in this room tonight where you feel maybe a similar way to God. You don't have anywhere else to go, but going to him stirs up all sorts of emotions and all sorts of questions because your picture of him maybe is a little bit off. She said, I felt unworthy to go home, but I needed my parents. Questions swirled in my mind. What was I gonna say to dad? What was I gonna say to mom? What was I gonna say to my children? I had been such a failure. What were they gonna say to me? We're tired of fooling with you. We told you not to do it. You've embarrassed us. Many of you know, she writes, that we live on the side of a mountain. As I wound myself up that mountain, I rounded the last bend in my father's driveway, and my father was standing there waiting for me. You can imagine what, what look is on his face. Here's what she writes. My father, who had every reason to rebuke me, instead wrapped his strong arms around me, pulled me into a warm embrace and greeted me with these simple words, welcome home. There was no shame, there was no blame, there was no condemnation, just unconditional love. She writes, my father is not God, but that day he showed me exactly what God is like. And I would say she's 100% right because that looks exactly like Jesus and Jesus looks exactly like God. She said, to be utterly broken and still accepted, to feel ugly and yet be loved, to feel like an outcast and still be welcomed. And catch this, this is so poignant, so intuitive, so true. She said, I marveled at the contrast between my heart full of shame and regret and my father's heart so full of love. That one act of mercy, she writes, changed my entire life. That's Christmas. That's what Christmas is all about. It's God reaching out to you saying, this is what I'm really like. I'm willing to humble myself that you might find life. I'm willing to give my life that you would find yours. I'm willing to take on human flesh that you might become like me. I'm willing to give myself for you because I love you. The four declarations of Christmas from that story, the prodigal son story are, I forgive you. I restore you, I welcome you, 
and I am with you. And I don't know where you're at tonight and I don't know what you bring in these doors, whether you're on a mountain high or in a valley low. I only know this, that the Christmas story, the very first declaration of the Christmas story, the angel said, behold, this is good news of great joy for all people. And that includes you tonight. Good news, great joy for all people because to us a child has been born and he is Christ the Lord. That's what God looks like. And I hope that that's what you have in your head and in your heart because it'll fill you with light and it'll fill you with love and it will be the freedom that breaks the chains that you may be walked in with. It's the invitation of Christmas. But it's an invitation that you have to receive because Christmas isn't something that we just celebrate. The Christ is someone that we must receive and respond to. And so I'd invite you to do that tonight, to run to him knowing that he's already running to you, not with a pot in hand to throw at your feet, but with open arms, with love in his eyes, and with a whisper, welcome home, welcome home. Jesus, thank you that you love us that way. Jesus, thank you that you took on human flesh that you might redeem, born that man no more may die, born to give us second birth, born to save the sons of earth. Thank you that in you we're forgiven. Thank you that in you we're restored. Thank you that in you we are welcomed. And thank you that in you we have the clearest picture we could ever get of what God is ultimately like. And so tonight, knowing that you're running to us, we say back to you, we're running towards you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.